Hello and welcome. You're streaming another stellar episode of Mac Watson Talks. On this episode, Roe v. Wade is overturned. So what are women and men supposed to do? Also, a cocaine-infused wheelchair is caught at BWI Airport. And free money in St. Paul, Minnesota. I'll tell you why it's a bad idea in the SmackDown. That and a whole lot more is coming up, so let's get started. This is episode 206. Obviously, the biggest news story of the day we have to talk about is that Roe v. Wade was overturned, but that's not the that's not necessarily true, right, Cricket? It's not Roe v. Wade being overturned, but that it was a different case, but it does affect Roe v. Wade, right? Right. So the name of the case that came out of the Supreme Court was not Roe v. Wade. Roe v. Wade was decided in 1973, but the case that came out of the United States Supreme Court last week overturned Roe v. Wade yes, and Casey right. versus Planned Parenthood, which is another case that had affirmed Roe v. Wade as being correct. But they just over, so it's not, they didn't, they, that's their own um, precedent. And under the law of stare, stare decisis, they can overrule themselves, especially when it um, doesn't have a grounded constitutional principle behind it, which is what they determined. So writing for the majority court, Judge, Judge Samuel Alito said that the 1973 Roe ruling and repeated subsequent high court decisions reaffirming Roe v. Wade must be overruled because they were, quote, egregiously wrong, the arguments, quote, exceptionally weak, and so, quote, damaging that they amounted to, a quote, an abuse of judicial authority. So what do you say when, when somebody says, well, it sounds like Judge Alito doesn't like abortion. He felt like overturning it. What do you say to that it, as a lawyer? I would say it doesn't have anything to do with the justice's feelings. It does. We're talking about conservative justices versus liberal justices. And that those, again, aren't about feelings. Those are about sort of ideologies. And so as conservative justices... They've always, conservative justices, have looked at, and remember, we've had a very liberal court for a long time. So it's been, any case coming before them would not even be accepted by the court, let alone overrule Roe v. Wade, because when you have a liberal court, they weren't interested in overruling case law that they found very convenient for their so that sort of social policy or their ideologies. But it's not having anything to do with their feelings. It has to do with their, 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 their legally and their ideology, whether you are a, whether you are a, you subscribe to like the textualist where it's like, if it's not in the constitution, you don't get to create it or whether it's specifically spelled out in the constitution and with the right to abortion, obviously that's not in the, that is not in the constitution. And in 1973, when the court said <clears throat> that women had the right to get an abortion, they said it fell under the right to privacy, which maybe is in the ninth amendment, probably is better suited to the third and fourth amendment. But Wherever that right to privacy is, that's where they, they said it fell within that. I would agree that the Constitution does grant us a right to privacy in so many situations, but a right to privacy in the case of having an abortion or not having an abortion would be that you have a right to make the decision to have one or not have one and not have it published or not have it sent to your employer. So when they said that it had a that it fell into the right to privacy, really the right to privacy in that situation would be whether or not somebody would, you know, share that with your employer, with your spouse, with your whatever. And I would argue that absolutely 
and we have those laws under the HIPAA, the Health Information Protection Act. The, the right to privacy is protected by the Constitution, and you, no one has the right to distribute your health information without your consent. And that wasn't necessarily always true in our healthcare system. But when it comes to the actual right of what medical procedure you want to have done or don't have done and whether it's allowed, whether practitioners are allowed to perform certain medical procedures or not, which is similar to what euthanasia, that is um, some states allow practitioners to assist people in committing suicide, suicide right yeah and some most majority of states do not allow practitioners to do that so this is actually falls right within the state's rights versus federal rights so any right not reserved into the federal government in the constitution it was left to the states and this is one of those there was no such thing no such thought of of the right to an abortion in the Constitution. And so it falls to the states. It doesn't mean that they suddenly said you can't have an abortion in the United States. What they said is that the states get to decide whether the practitioners in their states are allowed to perform that particular medical procedure. Right. Very similar to assisted suicide and, uh, and other procedures that are allowed in some states and not in others. Yeah, but it looks like the 13 there's 13 states that already already have trigger laws. That's what they're called. That says abortion is illegal in this and this and this this case. If, um, if 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 it's ever if it's more than fifteen weeks, if it's if it's and uh, and, and the trigger on it is that if Roe v. Wade and Casey versus Planned Parenthood is ever overturned, right? Then the law of this state is, and that's how those laws could sit on the book without anybody challenging them because unless the case was overruled, the law wasn't the law. It just it was the would-be law, the future law, as, as it were. And those, and so those 13 states are not the majority of states. 13 states no, means— No, but there are large that, swaths it, of the country that are going to have— It means that there's still 37 states where, where practitioners are allowed to perform abortions in, 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 in all in varying degrees because there are some states where, you know, they will go come back and say, you know what, we don't allow it after the first trimester. And, and a lot of people agree that, 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 you know, and let, or you, it's allowed after the first trimester for medical reasons, not for just a decision to terminate a pregnancy. So that when you find out that the child has a, a, some kind of you know, birth defect, um, especially those that are congenital defects that they, like they, this baby won't live more than like three hours outside the womb, those kind of defects that you can decide, I don't want to carry this child to term and that the, the, those can be ended. So it, there's a lot of places where it's where things are still going to be allowed. And, and I'm, I understand that people are very like, oh, well, the entire now in Texas, people have to travel out of state. And 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 I think well, in Arizona, they might have to travel out of state, right, too. Right, right. And so I think, yes, that may be true. But on the other hand, that, that there's always and, – and then and I see people making these really crazy arguments of, like, if you, you know, you, you miscarry, that you're going to have to carry that dead baby inside your body. Um, pretty sure that uh, most – Because the medical procedure – The medical procedure laws do allow for the removal of, of non-viable fetal tissue. Like that's not don't give me those kind of arguments and say that's what it's going to that's somehow going to make somebody carry around dead tissue inside. That is not true. That is not true. But we're talking about terminating a viable pregnancy. Right. And yes, in some states, you won't be allowed to do that anymore. But on the other hand, that is the right of that of the state, because that right is not a federal constitutional right. We've so really 
women have enjoyed a right since 1973 that that the feds got involved in that they had no right to be involved in. The feds had no right to be involved in telling states what kind of procedures their medical practitioners could perform. That's not a part of the Constitution. So some people are saying that this goes all the way back to the Civil War, that it's states' rights versus federal rights, that this is the largest or the biggest controversial issue since slavery. Because, again, what is a state right versus what is a federal right? Right, exactly. So you agree with that, that, that this is pretty big? I agree. But, you know, with the abolition of, of, of slavery, I mean, that there was a constitutional amendment. Yeah, right. <laughs> and this may require that if a it's, it's important, amendment. a constitutional amendment. And constitutional amendments don't happen overnight. If you talk to somebody who's been around long enough to remember how it is when constitutional amendments get passed, they, go, they get floated through, you know, Congress. They get sent out to the states. It takes years and years for it to get back to have enough states have passed it that it becomes then the law of the land because then it is accepted as an amendment to the constitution after a certain number of states and uh, have passed it in their state legislatures because you don't get to amend the federal constitution unless all of the several states that are a part of our united states agree to it alito's 78 page opinion which has a 30 page appendix seemingly leaves <laughs> no authority unsighted as supported as support for the proposition that there is no inherent right to privacy or personal autonomy, which you just said, Cricket, in various provisions of the Constitution. And similarly, no evidence that people's reliance on the court's abortion precedents over the past half century should matter. And they weren't deciding necessarily specifically the right to privacy, because that was not actually before the court. The, right, the, the question that was before the court was the right to have an abortion under the right to privacy. And trying to couch it within there is like, well, also, I think that my right to, you know, whatever, like my right to have assisted suicide should be private, you know? And we've already decided that that's the states get to decide that, that they get to make that decision about whether that they allow practitioners in their state to perform those kinds of of. Um, medical procedures. In the end, though, Alito's opinion has a larger objective, perhaps multiple objectives. Writing for the majority, he said forth, forthrightly that abortion is a matter to be decided by the states and the voters in those states. He wrote, We hold, he wrote, that the Constitution does not confer a right to an abortion. Absolutely. That's, that's As, what it comes right down to. That is, right. the, that, is the, that is the bottom line. It has nothing to do with how the justices personally feel about abortion. As a woman, though, how do you feel, though, that people are saying that, well, this means that people who are victims of incest and rape will have to carry, in some cases, carry that to term? I mean, as a, as a woman, does it bother you that there are... That, it, that a bunch of men decided that you, you, you can't have an abortion. It bothers me that that, it, that that at some point in the 70s, in the 60s and 70s, that a very strong um, sort of ACLU-type liberal, liberal branch of, of legal minds was able to find a case to take before the Supreme Court that, that they, and then with the right makeup of justices, was able to create something that doesn't actually exist. Right. And so— for 50 years almost 49 years we have had had a right that was case law right that really didn't actually exist within the constitution and they and just because they got they came back in the 90s with Casey versus Planned Parenthood and got him to affirm Roe v Wade 
again, doesn't mean that the right was ever there in the Constitution. And so they really didn't have a right to say to out to sort of outlaw it because really the, they it was like it was court created law. And we, the courts aren't there to create laws. They're there to keep a check and balance on the other two branches. They, they are not legislators. And what they did in Roe v. Wade, in some ways, was legislate. Was legislate the law, yeah. And, 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 not interpret. And, and almost amend the Constitution without following the procedures that we use to amend the Constitution. So if anything, the judicial activism that happened in the 70s and 90s and 70s, 80s and 90s is finding itself up against a very conservative court that that looks at the context and the and the text of the actual constitution and says look the text doesn't say it and when we look at the contextual information which is primarily and a big part of it is the federalist papers which were primarily written by Alexander Hamilton that explain what the framers thoughts were behind each part of the constitution because that's how they convince the public to back then adopt the constitution because then there wasn't it wasn't an amendment it was like adopting the actual constitution and each of these of the 13 states had to agree to the the constitution before it became the constitution of the land which is how amendments to that same constitution now work right and what happened was that they managed to create a right within the constitution that didn't exist there for 49 years and this court is like nope we are overruling ourselves we are looking back at ourselves and saying shame on us for being judicially active in that way and creating something that didn't exist and really trampling on state rights they were trampling on states rights and but as a woman it it's so to me that the that's the lawyer part of it as a woman i'm just like but women should have the right to autonomy in their bodies and so while i may not personally believe in abortion I, I will never say to any other person that they don't have the right to make that choice for themselves. It is their body. We teach our kids this all the time. You've heard us say it on the show. If you are friends with us in real life, you've heard our kids say it. It's, it the rule in our family is my body, my rules. And that applies in everything. And if it is your body, it is your rules. You get to decide. Now, my body, my rules means I get to hurt other people? No, of course no, not. No, of course not. No, of course not. But your body, your rules, you get to decide who touches your body, how they touch your body, what, you know. What's what, performed on how, your body. You know, like, you know, our daughters, like, would love to be blonde. And I'm like, well, good luck to you because I'm not paying for that. <laughs> but it doesn't, but, you know, but if she wants to grow her hair out to her, t- her toes, I don't really care. You got to take care of it. And obviously, we let our son grow his hair out. It's his body. It's his rules. Right. If he wants to have long hair, it's fine. And, and I'm not. If I believe that for my children, then I have to say I am not going to tell any other person about what they should do with their body. Now, whether they can find somebody to help them with that, you may want to cover your entire body with tattoos. And if you're 13, you're probably not going to find anybody to do it for you. Right. So, you know, there are some rules. So there may still be, even in states that are very liberal, may still require parental consent. They may not allow it to be performed younger than, say, 16 without parental consent. And, and I think those things are legitimate because we, we understand in this country that children are not logical beings. They don't, their prefrontal cortex is not fully developed and they make poor decisions. And so can they make their own health care decisions? I'm not sure they, if they really can without having an advocate step in for them, whether it's an adult, whether it's a parent or some other adult. And so, 
you know, it, it's hard. It's, these are hard questions and hard to say. But for me personally, while I don't believe in abortion, I would never, ever say to anyone that they don't have the right to do what they need to do for their body. Right. Because the the fact is, is there there's a lot of, um, you know, people have been quoting Bible verses, a lot of Old Testament Bible verses that say that God killed all these unborn babies. <laughs> I'm telling you, in the Old Testament, God did a lot of things. God did a lot of things. He was not kind. Right, he, <laughs> he was, was not kind. He was a very vengeful God. He yes. was an unhappy God. And and so I'm not going to go back and like try to like rely on the Bible. The Bible says this and the Bible says that because, you know, the Bible also is where we come up with my body, my rules. Like you don't get to, you know, you need to turn the other cheek and it's not that people get to beat you up, but you don't get to attack other people either. And I feel like that's really what people are doing right now. They're attacking other people and saying they shouldn't be able to do this. And I think that that if you, the place where all of this will change is in the ballot box, in the voting booth. And if it if it really is as polarizing as it appears to be, it's it's dominated the news cycle for you know two weeks now. Then and it's unfortunate it's in a midterm because there's a lot of people coming up for in midterms that are going to find themselves out of a job based right. on where they stand on this issue. Yeah. And I think that's where it needs to happen. And I think our, we have a younger generation that is getting more and more mobilized towards voting. There's less apathy in younger generations. And so it will happen. It just won't happen overnight. I, I think we're it going to overnight. find that a lot of those states are going to find that there's actually a majority of, of voters in their state that don't want those laws. And they're going to vote for legislators that will overturn those laws. Let's t- let's make it focused about Arizona, though. Arizona's attorney general has weighed in on what the law of the land is when it comes to abortion in the Grand Canyon state. Attorney General Mark Brnovich said in a tweet that the law was passed more than 120 years ago that bans abortion is back in effect, and it won't be repealed when SB 1164 was set to go into effect in about three months. State legislature passed SB 1164 in March and was signed by Governor Doug Ducey and would have banned abortions after 15 weeks unless the mother's health was at risk. Brnovich said he'll be asking a judge to ditch the injection, which was put in place following the 1973 decision of Roe v. Wade. When the U.S. Supreme Court overruled Roe v. Wade last week, it let states decide on abortion laws. Senate Republicans had originally said the territorial area law was in effect that bans abortion except when the mother's life is at risk. And and that may be that Arizona's law stood. So a lot of times when you look up a law in a statute book, it will say very clearly in the first footnote, this this law was overruled by this case. And a lot of times legislatures go in and they have a cleanup bill that looks at case law case, or um, statutes that have been overruled by case law, and they'll clean them up. They'll like delete them out of their statute books. But uh, but some states let those those laws stand even though they've been overruled by case law, and they don't clean up their statutes. I don't know whether it's good one way or the other. I mean, it means that there's also still laws on the book in some places where, like, if you can't ride a donkey on Sunday and, you know, just stupid stuff like that. Can't walk your alligator on the left side of the sidewalk. Right, and so, you know, it's it's maybe not the best housekeeping in terms of, like, legislative housekeeping and keeping your statute books sort of clean and— and I mean clean as in like orderly, like everything in there is actually good law and not law that's been overturned by case law. So but the fact is, is that the legislature came back and passed this law 
And even if they premised it on the fact that Roe was good law at the time, I think that it happened more recently and it probably will take effect. And it's going to take another cycle or two of the legislature to either overturn the new law about the 15 weeks, except for when the mother's health is in danger, or maybe not. Maybe Arizona will decide that that's 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 where their that's line where is. Say, yeah. That's where their line in the sand is. That's where they stand. Right. That's right. That's just some of the news this week. Thanks, Cricket. Thank you, Mac. Are you a patron on Patreon? Are you getting a bonus episode of Mac Watson Talks every week? You're missing out on stories about Wyoming, stories of our childhood, and stories from our kids, directly from our kids. What are you missing? Well, here's just a snippet. Did you ever get sick as a kid while you were on vacation? You know, I don't remember getting sick with like a cold or a cough or some kind of strep throat or something like that, but I did get sun poisoning. And it was so bad, I was so sunburned, because, you know, who wore sunscreen back then? I didn't even know what sunscreen was until I was, like, uh, in high school, at least. Yeah. Yeah, at least. So it was so bad, though, that I would shiver at night. I was so cold, and then I'd get so hot, and then I'd get so cold again. Mm -hmm. So it was like I was constantly sweating and then getting cold and then sweating and getting cold. Oh, man, you're talking to a girl who's been sunburned a million times. I exactly know what you're talking about. (laughs) That's when we were coming back from Ocean City, Maryland. Want to hear the rest? Go to patreon.com slash Talks today. For as little as $5 a month, you can get a bonus episode of Mac Watson Talks every week. And if you're really thrifty, you can pay $5 and listen to 60 bonus episodes of Mac Watson Talks and then cancel your account. I'm just saying you could do that, but I know you're going to want to stay because the episodes are so great that you'll want a new one every week. So go to patreon.com slash Talks. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. Time for the smackdown, and this time I'm smacking down St. Paul, Minnesota. They're expanding its guaranteed basic income experiment, giving monthly checks to more families while making deposits into some of their children's college savings account. Now, here's how the program works. With the city council support, Mayor Melvin Carter launched the People's Prosperity Guaranteed Income Pilot in November of 2020, spending $300,000 in federal coronavirus relief grants and $1.2 million from donors. That provided $500 a month for 18 months to 150 low-income families with no strings attached. So Carter announced Wednesday that the next phase, which he's calling the college-bound boost, will send money to two groups. 333 families will get $1,000 added to each of their children's college-bound St. Paul savings account. 333 additional families will get the same $1,000 for college, plus two full years of monthly $500 checks. Now, the city will compare the outcomes for these families against a third control group of 333 families families enrolled in college-bound St. Paul without the boost or the monthly checks. Is that fair? No. You can't give away free money with no strings attached. There's got to be something. There's got to be some incentive. And what happens when the money runs out? Then you've got to rely on taxpayer money. So again, this is just a disaster waiting to happen. The city created the college savings program two and a half years ago in hopes of growing the share of city residents who go on to college while also improving young families' financial and general well-being. Well, it's an experiment that needs to end. And that is the SmackDown. It's that time. 
Time for the last word. A New Jersey man was found with nearly $1 million worth of cocaine hidden in his electric wheelchair at Baltimore Washington International Thurgood Marshall Airport in Maryland. U.S. Customs and Border Protection officer agents said they stopped Gabriel Ruiz of New Jersey on June 20th, coming in from the Dominican Republic with 13 bricks of cocaine hidden within his chair. Customs at an airport in Charlotte, North Carolina, discovered 23 pounds of cocaine in a wheelchair last month. That suspect was also coming in from the Dominican Republic. So I wonder why people are going to the Dominican Republic and coming back with super-fast, supercharged wheelchairs. Well, now we know. Until next time! Thank you for listening to Mac Watson Talks. This episode is copyrighted and may not be reproduced in whole or part without express written permission. Connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, or Patreon, and leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, share us with your friends. We love new listeners.